Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Hey, thank you, folks. We're glad you're back with us. I'm Randy Davis. This is the Faith in Your Recovery podcast. I think this is about episode 119 or 120. So thanks for sticking with us, staying with us, supporting us. We continue to need that. Like, subscribe, and share. Let your friends know what's happening because we think we're finding a pathway to help many of you in your recovery journey. I'm particularly excited today to have our guest with us, Mr. Mark Kendall of Great White. Thanks, Mark. Glad you're with us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Thank you. So where are you coming from today? Where are you located? Um, I live uh, kind of near Palm Springs, maybe 20 minutes from Palm Springs, kind of up in the foothills. Not all not right. really quite mountains. <laughs> okay, all right. I bet you've got a beautiful view of them from there, though. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's nice and quiet. Um, my neighbors. Uh, there's a lot of, like law enforcement here, firemen. <laughs> you know, uh, really nice hands. neighbors, and it's kind of a quiet community. You know, so uh, really enjoy it. You've not always led a quiet life from your history. <laughs> so yeah, this, when I get home, it's quite, it's not not quite so mayhem, but you know, out oh, there, a lot of travel, a lot of you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what we'd like to do today, I as we've already spoken, this is probably going to be a two part thing, and we'll take part number one, and we'll talk about your your professional life. We'll talk about what it's been like on stage, uh, what music means to you, what it's been like to be a part of a band, the caliber that you've been involved with. And then episode number two, we'll get into your, your addiction struggle and your recovery. So that just kind of lays the groundwork for folks You're becoming a musician. To the best of your knowledge, was that a personal choice? I know intergenerationally that you had several, uh, your parents, your grandparents, I don't know how far back that goes, that were musically inclined and talented. Uh, Was this a choice you made on your own, or did you feel it was an expectation to get into the music industry? Uh, well, as a young boy, my I was surrounded by music. For one thing, my my dad was a jazz trumpet player. My mother sang. Um, everybody on her side of the family were singers and piano players. And my grandpa was an accomplished um, kind of a ragtime, uh, old school vaudeville touring, you know, piano player. You know, with the dancing girls and, you know. Yes, yeah. And his left hand, like, he played the bass, like, so incredible. It's like, when I got old enough to understand how good he was, I, I really appreciated it a lot more than I did when I was a little kid. 
But uh, so I had all that going on, and I used to sing along to some of their records with uh, mostly my mom's music, which had a lot of singers like the Deanne Warwicks and and stuff like that. And I, w- I was singing along to songs like Girl from Ipanema oh, when I was like oh, six you... years old, you know. And uh, and because of the DNA and everything, my, my dad had perfect pitch. It kind of swam into me. I could hear the music well and and interpret it good and, and replicate it. Like I was singing in key at six years old, you know. So, uh, so I've been bl- kind of blessed with that, you know, having a good ear for music. And um, I told the story before, but there was a band when I was nine years old that w- played across the street from me, and I used to watch them through this little window in the side door of their garage. And one day the bass player was playing with his teeth <laughs> and for some reason that made me go crazy. And I, I kind of begged my dad to get me a guitar. And then I started to learn my way around the neck and really didn't really put it down much for a year. And I, I was learning from actually neighbor kids that were more advanced than me. They taught me a few chords and, and I was able to pick up on a few songs and then started playing with this other kid that was my age. And, you know, we played for the fourth grade class. We were playing songs like, you know, like Wipeout, Pipeline, Gloria, Secret oh. Agent Man, you know. And, Man, uh, you're bringing so, them all back to me. I live that time frame. Yeah, that's exactly, cool. Yeah. So, so, you know, those songs. And they were easy to learn because they only had – they were the chords that I'd learned, right? And almost all the song Gloria was like EDA and that was it, you know? So it was a lot of fun. And then, um, so I kind of stuck with it. And my dad, when I was 10, he got me a guitar and three albums, uh, Cream, a band called Cream, Jimi Hendrix and The Doors. And believe it or not, when I listened to those records, I would just sing along like I did when I was a little boy. I wasn't really listening, you know, guitar flash or, you know, guitar tricks or whatever they were doing on that side of it. I really wasn't paying attention to it. I was singing with the singer. I was fascinated by the melody in the song. And, uh, but People at the same in. time, I'm I'm learning my way around the neck for my neighbors. So, so I was paying more attention to them than Jimi Hendrix at that time. <laughs> you know, uh, when I started to uh, move toward, you know, 11, 12, 13, like, you know, then I started paying more attention to guitar players. Like uh, the first one that really uh, got my full attention was Carlos Santana. And uh, I was learning songs and playing with a friend of mine named Greg Parent, who um, actually his brother was killed in the Sharon Tate murders, the the Manson murders. Uh, yes, yes. Way back when, his name was Stephen Parent. He was he was kind of an electronics guy, and he could put radios together and stuff and sell them and and this that and the other and. Uh, he went up to the the Tate uh, residence 
because he knew the caretaker and he went up to sell him a radio and that's when all those Manson people were there. So kind of a going off the uh, curve there for you, but I was just kind of explaining who his brother was that I, sure. I used to play guitar with him in El Monte, California. And that's where I kind of got my start as far as playing songs, kind of hearing the groove of the song and playing along, you know, uh, uh, so I was getting a little bit better. And then I, you know, by the time I was 15, from 15 to 18 is where I kind of honed my skills enough to where I felt I was good enough to play in a band. And, um, because I was playing guitar like, like crazy man, I, you know, totally obsessed with it. And that's when I really started to pay attention to guitar, more guitar players, the Johnny winner and, you know, Alvin Lee. And most of the guys were kind of had the blues overtones to their playing, which is a little bit strange because everybody thought I might be like my dad, like a jazz a, a guy who who gravitated toward the jazz because my dad was a straight ahead jazz trumpet player, but I was so far away from that. But my dad was very gifted. Um, you know, he knew music theory in high school. He wrote for all the instruments like him, him and my grandpa wrote all the music out for the clarinet, the trombone, the, you know, they wrote it all out. So they, they were really, uh, you know, well-schooled in, in the music side of things to where I was just going by my ear. And I remember when I was 15, my dad set up a metronome, one of those block wood ones that just clicked, click, 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 right? He goes, play something. And I go, I don't know what to play. And he goes, just play anything, you know? And so I played and I was right in rhythm with that thing. Just kind of, you know, I kind of felt like that's what he wanted, but I, I had no problem playing with it. And he just goes, you might do okay. <laughs> you may have a future at this, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's it, cool. It was kind of telling me the importance of, of you know, the – Playing in time, you know. Yeah, yeah. So who did you most model your style after, professional? Uh, what professional um, did you most model your style after? Yeah, well, like when I was 14, like I was saying about Carlos Santana, the thing that um, the reason he, you know, I got, he got my attention was I saw him at that Woodstock I remember seeing this video of him playing and he was sweating bullets and he grabbed this note and it, he looked like he was holding on to it for dear life or something. And, and it was just, I could tell he was just like feeling like he was just in the moment. Like that's the way he felt at that moment. And for some reason, um, I wanted to play like that with that amount of passion it, it kind of inspired me to um not be so technical and play more from the heart you know the soul and all that you know what i mean and so those are the type guitar players that that i gravitated towards and that um 
you know, it, it's very obvious when you can tell if a guy's playing from feel compared to someone who's, you know, kind of strictly technical. And, and, uh, so those are, those are the ones that I, that made me want to improve. Do you feel like you've reached that point of passion, uh, or is it still out there? Is there still more to, more to connect with? Yeah. Well, uh, we can always get better. Absolutely. Uh, We can always get better. Um, what keeps me motivated and keeps me vibrating at a freak frequency that that I'm comfortable with and that I want to be at is by continuing to be creative, continuing to write songs, continuing to write the best song of my life. That that's that motivates me as opposed to just the career I've had, which I'm also totally grateful for. And, and all the big songs and everything. But I want to learn from that and try to, you know, I'm constantly, it's like I, I've compared it to a painter before. He's not going to go out and sell the same paintings every year. He wants to come up with a new one that people look at and go, holy cow, dude, that's amazing. You know, and that's kind of uh, what keeps me, you know, going. And and my love for music, I I just, I, I love it, you know, um, I have other interests, but but that one uh, always rules over everything. <laughs> it, it's the one that you know it makes me happy, and um, it makes me feel a certain way when I hear a tune. I've even cried before just hearing a song. So Your own song. There's not too many things self- that can do that. <laughs> yes, I. Uh... I have a quote of yours that I picked up from the Internet. It says, my feeling is no matter what instrument you play, do it with passion and feeling. When music is delivered that way, it creates emotions which can make a person cry at times. I like that. And I think And I'm one of the people that can cry, trust me. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I— You know, there are those moments where we know we've hit the home run. That's not arrogance. Yeah. It's it's a far better hit than we thought we were going to get, uh, that yeah. we achieved beyond what we thought we could. And we hit that, that moment of Shangri-La, that moment of extreme pleasure and even pride in ourselves. Uh you know, I, yeah. I recognize that at times. I know it's God getting the work done, but you're the one playing the guitar, okay? I'm yeah. the one who's preaching the sermon or uh, interviewing you here. I get where our strength comes from, but I've always said you can pray to God to give you the farm, but he's never going to drive your tractor. So, that's uh, what it is with yeah. our music, through your practice, through that continual listening to others and picking up on nuances and being able to move forward with all of that. Uh, that's a pretty incredible place to be. So who who would you say is your favorite band of all times? Uh yeah, let's go not with just an wow. individual player, but uh, yeah. a band that 
Yeah, they were just pure and clean, and they hit you with their music. It uh, it touched you. Yeah, um, very tough. I'm, you, you know, I'm so song driven that so many different bands have have, have that shown feeling. so many different looks. You know that I that I just absolutely love. You know. To pick one single band might just be a certain feel that they project and, yes. and, and that I really like, but I also like, you know, stuff that Guess Who wrote, you know, that just blows my mind um, how connected they are and, and how you can – the thing about music uh, is it means – a song can mean – a different thing to multiple people, you know? So like when they had the MTV, they give you uh, pictures of what they're talking about. But if you strip that away, it might mean a bunch of different stuff that wouldn't even relate to what they're projecting through video. You know what I mean? Um, but back to your question, to single out one single band, I mean, I have... I have several that like that bring me back to my teenage years. Like Deep Purple was way up there with me. Um, I used to roll out of bed and get ready for school and put on Highway Star, and it would be that rush of adrenaline that just got me excited to go about my day, you know. Um, so there's stuff like that, um, you know. What what I love about bands is, is how I'm feeling at any given moment. I'm feeling like ACDC right now, man. I want, you know, let's go. Uh, or I might be into uh, listening to some Santana that's a little bit softer, but still grabs me, you know. Um, I love Tom Petty. It's like I'm not just zeroed in on this one genre. Yeah. The guitar players that I listen to have a certain thing going on with the, with the passion, the feel, the soul. But at the same time, like as far as songs, it's just such, there's so many great, you know, songwriters and bands that it's like just to say one, um, like I love Tom Petty. I love, uh, Hey, God, this is so good. No, it's, it, uh, I get that. Yeah. It's, the, it's oftentimes the mood of the moment. And what that song yeah, exactly. can do to enhance that mood or change that mood uh, or yeah. create one altogether new. So, uh, yeah, I get the fact there's not one that you can pinpoint but you can remember times in your lives when A was the most important or band B was most important. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. like, I might be in the mood to listen to Carol King, who's just a wonderful singer, and that album Tapestry is, like, one of my favorite records ever, but it has nothing to do with, like, rock or anything that I play. It's just that I love melody and song so much you know it almost takes me back to when i was a little kid you know that you know like we were talking about earlier if your career had not been rock music what would have been the second music choice 
Um, I don't. I don't know. I think as far as labeling the style, that's really up to the people that listen to it. But I, I go by just the songs I write. You know, I I would never like think style before I wrote a song. I would just. I, I just come up with what's in my head, whatever's in between my ears at that time, and I put it in on tape, and then it's up to you to tell me what it is. Okay, you know what no. I mean. It's like I can't, I can't sure. really. Uh, I've you never didn't been lock the type. In. Yeah, I've never been the type that goes, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna join, I'm gonna write nothing but, you know, uh, R and B or, uh, you know." I'm going to come up with this tune and then you tell me what category you think it could go in. I don't write like I'm going to write a rock song right now. I don't do that. I just write like I'll hear a riff in my head and I, I try to get it onto my guitar. And over the years, it's gotten be I've gotten better with that. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I don't know what to say about that. I really no, that fits, and those are the kind of answers. Because I ask a question, <laughs> doesn't mean there's an absolute answer, all right? But you're opening yeah, okay. us to uh, to new thoughts and a broader range of thinking, and I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. Your years in the music industry, give us a couple of the highlights and a couple the low lights? Um, I would say one one of the highlights, because my, my father kind of wanted me to be a, a baseball player, and, and he was my coach every year from 8 to 18, and, you know, I was getting a little bit disheartened when I was almost, I was almost 18, and there were so many better players than me you know, that did everything better that I went full-time music. And so, you know, he, he wasn't discouraging. He was supportive, but I just don't think he thought there was much of a chance for me to be like successful in music. That's the way I think he was thinking. So he wanted me to stick with baseball and just like, keep firing away at it and, you know, and I just, when there was guys on my own team better than me, I just go, there's no scout in the world that's going to come check me out. <laughs> I'm not the you one know? they're hunting for. So I'm just being a realist here, you know, gotcha. I, I just, and I love music anyway. So it wasn't a forced issue. It wasn't like something to fall back on. I, I was playing music every day. So it was a natural uh, thing to do was to go full-time music. And so one of the things that kind of sticks out is when we played the forum, which is where the Lakers, the Los Angeles Lakers play and where all the big bands play. When we played there and got platinum records on stage and everything for selling millions of records, we, and I gave him that and had him be a part of that. That that was, uh, you know, really uh, kind of a great moment. And then after our first album, as far as on the downside, 
we got dropped off the label after just one. Well, we played with Judas Priest for about six months and played over in Europe with Whitesnake and came home and the, and the record company, we didn't sell quite a hundred thousand. And instead of working with us or trying anything, they pretty much kind of, we parted ways and essentially dropped from the label. So, you know, we had to make our own record and keep firing away. We got another hit on the radio, thankfully. And we had to borrow money from a guy to make the record and all this stuff. So in a way, it's almost like learning from your mistakes, you know, in life and, and you learn and you don't do it that way next time or whatever. Yeah. We had to take our lumps, but at the end it made us work that much harder. And then we got, our opportunities um, opened up for us again, which was lucky for us that we got a second chance. Yes. Yes. Professionally as a lead guitarist, everything I've read tells me that that lead guitarist is usually the, the person that, uh, He's the extrovert in the group. Was that the case with Great White? Would you consider yourself the extrovert of the group? And I know there were different combinations of the band, but generally speaking, or whatever one, when I mention Great White, you go back to it, whatever that case may be. Right. Um, you know, I present songs to the band, but I'm very much a team player. I don't ever, I didn't, never wanted anybody to feel like I was some kind of big cheese or, you know, uh, like even a leader role. I was more of uh, open to hearing their ideas and what and what they have, you know, like my other guitar player, keyboard player, Michael Lardy. Hey, you know, what do you got? You know, you got any ideas? Oh man, that's a, I really like that. Let's work on that. So that, instead of, uh, you know, to eliminate the risk of ego and all that, I always wanted to make the song the most important thing and, and, and let's all fight like a team and make this song, whatever we have to do to make this song great. Let's do that. You know, let's compete so, together, not against each other. Right. And, and, you know, I don't have to be the captain, you know, um, of the ship. And really, we don't really ever argue over any small stuff. It's usually about the song. It, yeah. it, you know, we can't butt heads if, if, you know, I think we should do this to make this song better. And what ends up usually happening is the song always wins, <laughs> you know, so it, it usually comes out how it should. I would think that has helped Great White uh, stay fresh, uh, stay refreshing over the years, yeah. that because there's different input, it's not all Mark Kendall's music, Mark Kendall's idea, or any other member of the band. Right. You've got... Uh, 
you know, you've got that bass who's giving the word this time. You've got the guy on the drums who's giving the word this time. And you're working through things. And, hey, let's give this a try. Let's make this the best we can. And you judge it from there and decide what you're going to do with it. So that's yeah, that's an emphasis absolutely. to me. Uh, Plus, that's what makes it a band. If we could, you know, everybody feels like they're contributing even though, you know, Michael and I are the main songwriters as far as the music and everything, but, you know, they're contributing their, the, the, you know, the bass and, and the bass parts and it's very musical what the bass player is doing as well. So, you know, I want everybody to feel like an equal member and, you know, I'm like going, I said, we don't need a big cheese. We don't need a big cheese. <laughs> yeah, I'm going back to thinking of your dad coaching you in baseball. Uh, yeah. You had to play as a team, and that's the way you operated as a band. Sometimes somebody had to be the one to speak up and speak out, but that's a lot different than dictating. And uh, exactly. we lose our creativity. Exactly right that was and usually yeah. the teams that play as a team they win a lot yes 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 <laughs> what uh what was one of the toughest things for you as far as touring the wear and tear on your lifestyle i'm sure it had to make family life difficult uh, i don't know how many days you'd be out in a year in the heyday, and I know you're still out and about now. And uh, so, mm -hmm. what what was that like? Uh, it looks pretty glamorous from the outside, but we know better. It can't be that way all the time, okay? You you've got so, those practices that travel, all the uh, yeah, yeah, all the struggles. It, it, it it's a teenager's dream to be in a big rock band sell millions of records and tour the world. There's a lot of sacrifices um, when you have a family. You know, you're watching your kids grow up on videotapes. You can't have them out as much as you want. Um, you know, so being away from friends and family, that was probably the hardest thing for me. And... Uh, and also, we're getting into this in the next segment, but the drinking, it kind of wears you down after a while, you know? And uh, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of pressures. Um, you know, we tried not to read our own press very much because, you know, the last thing I need to read is is – how great I am or how horrible I am, <laughs> you know, but exactly. neither one is probably too. too You're somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I mean, if I just hear people are talking about us, that's good enough. I don't need to, you know, I don't need to read about, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, there, there's a lot of, uh, grueling travel, you know, you're playing, five nights a week and we, uh, in, in arenas, you know, and we're on the days off, we were playing, we were playing clubs and stuff. So sometimes we didn't have any days off. We were just like nonstop, nonstop playing. Yeah. So, so how long have you been? It's, 
it's it's also a blessing, you know, um, that's just, just part of it, you know. Sure, sure. How long have you been playing professionally? Well, um, the first record deal, I was 24 years old. I'm 66. So how many years is that? That's about is 42. That 42. 42. Yeah. <laughs> 42 skidoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do you see do you see a few more years in this? Well, yeah. I mean, as long as I stay healthy, which um, I feel pretty good. Uh the fans are still we really have loyal fans all over the world, so we go you know, when we go play live, we don't tour as grueling as we used to. We mostly do what they call fly dates. We'll fly out and do two or three shows and then come home. Instead of being in a bus for months at a time and then come home like after, you know, a year and a half or something, which has happened. I At one tour, I turned two ages one time. I was 31 when I got home when I was 33. <laughs> you know, so we don't, we don't do, we don't do that anymore, but, um, but we still go out and play, you know, 50 shows a year and, and, okay. you know, go over to Europe and maybe that's the only time we'll maybe do a run like six weeks or something. But out here I'm home every week. I'm enjoying the family, just celebrated 26 years of marriage yesterday. Congrats. So, um, you know, and I have things away from music that I like. I like to play pool. I'm a pretty, pretty good pool player for a guitar player and, uh, you know, compete and stuff like that. So that, that kind of fun. Good, good, good. Uh, what if you could just up and go and what's one of the places you would like to go where you would perform? Let's go back there and just give us one place that's near the top of the list, either by experience, geography, right. uh, you know, you guys hit it out of the park, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Give us one of those uh, areas, please. I would say home is number one, but it, um, as far as like, being on the road, going somewhere, Switzerland is at the very top of my list. I have wonderful, wonderful friends there that, you know, we're connected at the hip. We've gone up to the Swiss Alps. You know, he has family there. Um, you know, they live in this little village. My wife can go horseback riding, and it's just nonstop postcard. I mean, Rhine River, you know. It's just the most beautiful, clean country you could ever imagine. And it also, when you go there, it's almost like spiritual. You you feel it. You feel the place more than see it. it, it it's, uh, it's beauty everywhere. And the people treat you like golden. It, they're just so sweet. Everybody, they're so, you know, so nice. So we, I love to go there not only to play, you know, festivals and whatnot, but but for vacation. We've actually been, my wife and I have gone there just for a vacation. Yeah, 
I had the experience during my military career back in the early 70s to visit Switzerland and spend some time on the Rhine River. Yeah, I remember those nice. castles located on nearly every curve of the river or so it seemed. Yeah. The beauty of it all, I didn't Gorgeous. have it as intimate Gorgeous. as you did in that respect, but what an incredible uh. Yeah, so so I get bits and yeah, pieces. Yeah, so you've been there. You know what I'm talking about. Yes, sir. I'll tell you what, Mark. We're gonna we're gonna start to wrap this segment up. But as we do, go ahead and give the folks just a couple minute teaser here of what life started to look like as your addiction started to take over. Uh, I just want to give them a little lead in and we'll go from there, please. Okay. Um, well, I, I've always been kind of compulsive um, and kind of a beer guy. I've always had this kind of embedded fear that I can't explain. Not so much to play in front of a bunch of people, but more like this small social situations. So I always use like beer as a vehicle to be able to get through all that easy. And it became a rut after a while. And um, when I was 34 years old, I was kind of, I was getting kind of tired of waking up with hangovers and just feeling horrible and guilt and shame and all this stuff that goes with it. And didn't really, I was completely ignorant to rehabs and, 12-step groups and all that, I had no clue. So I ended up going to uh, Arizona to a, a rehab place for 30 days. And we can uh, go from there. Oh, that's awesome. That'll be a good place for us <laughs> to take off. Yeah, thank you for that and sharing that. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to find out. I know you have certain feelings about AA and the meaning of the old phrase, one day at a time. We're going to talk about that. Uh, we'll okay. talk about some of those pains and losses and how easy it probably yeah. was to fall into this in your chosen career. Uh, the enablement that came about as just being a part of the industry and, uh, you know, everything that went with that. So we thank you for that. Folks, thank you for joining us on this first part of this two-piece uh, interview with Mark Kendall of Great White. In just a moment, we're going to come. Well, actually, it'll be next Friday, but we're going to do this in just a moment. We'll come back with episode two or part two of this. Make sure you come join us. That's when we're going to talk about Mark's struggle with alcohol and drugs and how he was able to climb out <laughs> of that and more of the life he's living today. So God bless you. Stay in the battle. Keep it up. We care. Amen. Amen.